0: John Constantine, The Hellblazer Podcast. And welcome back. Before we get into the episode, just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast, and all that means is that we are way behind where I'm at in Patreon. So if you are loving this podcast and you need more John Constantine in your life, definitely go check us out at Patreon.com/slash/planes trains and comic books and sign up for the Hellblazer tier, where you'll get access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've recorded so far, and also you'll get access to the exclusive episodes of the planes trains and comic books main podcast. So if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash Planes, Trains, and Comic Books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 46. And just a little recap on what's been going on in the series. John was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And from issues 41 to 44, John was going around to different people who might be able to help him. But unfortunately for John, none of that worked. Nobody was able to help him, no matter who he turned to. So he decided to take his fate into his own hands and he came up with a plan where he would put all the kings of hell, there's three of them, Lucifer and two other high demons, and he would pit them against each other by selling his soul to each one unbeknownst to the other. And then he proceeded to commit suicide which forced them all to come collect his soul. They realized that they had been tricked and because of the way that the rules work with the selling of souls and contracts and whatnot... They were forced to actually heal John and take his cancer away and bring him back to life brand new because if they didn't, they would have ended up going to war over who was going to collect his soul and then that would have made it so God could go against them now that they're weakened and heaven would end up being victorious over hell, finally concluding this eternal war that's been going on. So that is why they ended up going along with his plan and bringing him back and basically all of them have now been disgraced none of them want to tell anybody in hell what happened like why they didn't come back with John's soul because he tricked them and he made them look stupid and at the end of the last issue the three kings were threatening him saying that John would not get away with this and that they would constantly be after him hunting him down and then he turned to them all cocky and said no you're not because if I die then someone has to claim my soul and you guys can't do that because then heaven will win so go fuck yourselves. And he proceeded to flip them off. And that issue ended with a big splash page of John doing that. So first things first with issue 46, we got the cover here. We see there's some kind of apartment building or complex, possibly a hospital and cut into this picture instead of John's face. Like all the other issues have had, we get a demon skull that has horns and everything and red eyes, and it's looking pretty, uh, pretty angry. And we also see that this issue is written by Garth Ennis with art by Will Simpson with help by Pennington, McKenna, De Mulder, and Walk. And we start off with John in his apartment and he is on his bed and we see a bunch of liquor bottles around. Obviously, he's been on a bender and we see the narration say, you do some pretty stupid things when you're not thinking straight, don't you? Maybe you get pissed at a party. Maybe you get pissed at a party and you tell the girl you've always fancied how you feel about her, which ruins everything, of course. Or maybe go to be endurance by your mate with the big mouth, you proceed to fill your orifice with your fist. Whatever. What I did was say, up yours to the devil and then give him the finger. Which is really about as stupid as you can get, if you ask me. And we see that this issue is named falling into hell and that this is the last part of the dangerous Habits story arc. And John's narration continues, that wasn't the only stupid thing I did. I'm John Constantine after all. I do stupid things in packets of 10. I'm stupid in style. I'm the man who finally found a cure for cancer, believe it or not. It's easy, all you do is sell your soul to each of the three lost brothers. If you die, they'll go to war over your soul and hell will fall to pieces on them, right? Are we clear so far? Now, the clever bit. If you're dying of lung cancer, they're going to be in deep shit. So the only way for them to crawl out of it is to keep you alive, and they did. No one's ever done that to the three, no one. I mean, it's unheard of, you just don't do it. Can you imagine the insult they felt? The immortal rage at mortal insolence. The first man to beat them is nothing more than a cheap, flashy little crook. There'll be shockwaves rolling through hell till Judgment Day. But I've no sympathy for the devil. And what I did to the three is just peanuts to what I nearly did to the world. I was prepared to have hell rip itself apart over my soul. To have heaven win the war. To condemn everything that's ever lived to the slavery of angels. Selfish, stupid, arrogant little shit. I remember walking out of the room where it happened into the warm summer night, breathing the closest London can manage to fresh air and pretending it smelt like victory. Then what I'd done, what I'd almost caused, it hit me like a kick in the balls and I folded up around it, nearly falling into the nuthouse and howling all the way. There was only one thing I could think of that would save me, a two day personal piss up, getting smashed senseless until nothing mattered anymore and everything took second place to the blurred pain behind my eyes. Well, it's a done job, I feel like shit like some gits lined my guts with concrete and stuck my brains in a bucket of spew. But I'm thinking straight again. And as John's saying this, he's getting up out of bed and he's kind of moving all the bottles and everything out of the way. And he walks into his restroom and looks at himself in the mirror and he continues, good thing too, because I'll have to keep my wits about me from now on. I thought they'd actually be protecting me anxious not to fight over my soul, but that's a normal human way of thinking. I got them with a trick so simple. It was perfect once, From now on, they'll have all the angles covered, and they'll be searching for a way around the hold I've got on them. Devils cheat and scheme and lie all the time. I'm just a lucky amateur. Those friggers will be watching over me, all right. They'll watch me do everything until I make just one wrong move, and then they'll be down on me like a ton of shit. And then, Christ, welcome to life on the edge, Constantine. So then John realizes how bad his apartment smells and probably how bad he smells too, So he decides to go for a walk, and of course, the second he steps outside, it begins to pour rain. But he continues to walk anyway, and as he's walking, he bumps into someone. And as he apologizes to them, he kind of, like, puts his hands on their shoulders to steady them, and he looks up and he sees a woman, and he knows her and she knows him. And she looks at him and says, John? And John says, Kit? And then they give each other a big hug, because this is the old partner of his friend Brendan, who he hung out with in Ireland in issue 42, and he was actually able to save Brennan's soul from Lucifer, and that was the first time that Lucifer got tricked by John. So like I said, they gave each other a hug, they were very happy to see each other, and they end up going to a diner to get some tea. As they sit at this diner, the narration continues, there's a moment or two of amused bewilderment as astonished nervous grins give away to smiles of familiar warmth. And then we start talking like it hasn't been eight years. Eight years since I last sat with her and Brennan at the tower drinking ourselves cross-eyed and laughing through the nights that never ended. And look at her, raven black hair and deep green eyes and snow white skin, Miss Ireland. So like John said, they begin to catch up. She of course makes some jabs at him saying that he looks like someone who rolls in gutters for a hobby and he asks what she's been up to and she says, let's see, a bit of illustration, book covers and so on. I did some design a while back but... If ever a business was full of wankers, that's the one. And then John asks, do you ever go back home? And she says, home? You mean Belfast? Nah, I was going to, but every time I thought about it, I just got depressed remembering my mom and dad. Just keep the break as clean as possible, I reckon. What about you? And John looks at her and he says, oh, uh, you know, the usual, this and that. And then he starts laughing and he says, I never could keep anything from you, could I? I remember when we'd be sitting there rat arsed and I'd tell you me and Brendan were off to visit a friend. And you'd just raise your eyes and smile ever so slightly. I always thought, ah, there's a lady who can see right through you, my son. And she looks at John and says, it's not that difficult, John. I used to watch you bullshitting loads of people and I had to admit, you were pretty good. I think you could have foxed me completely if you wanted to, but you didn't. You always came to us because you wanted a break from all that, didn't you? And John says, yeah. Yeah, too right. I used to love those times, Kit. I... uh, I suppose you heard about Brendan. And then she looks down at her drink, and she seems pretty sad, and she says, I have. I... Would you believe I cried for the old idiot? And then they kind of sit there in silence, and John's narration says, Of course I believe it. What else would she do? And then he remembers like a flashback of them having fun together with Brendan, and the narration continues, She loved the old reprobate. And she probably went right on loving him until after he started going downhill. She loves him now, you can tell. I did love those times we spent together, the loving couple and the liar who came in from the cold. They had a light shining in them that mesmerized me, a light of freedom and wonder, of throwing cares aside and dancing under the stars till morning comes. I wanted that so much and with them, I maybe got a little of it. And if Brennan drowned his light in whiskey, Kit just kept on shining. And then John looks at Kit, and he raises his glass, and he toasts to Brendan Finn. And then Kit does the same. And then John looks at his glass, and he says, It seems a bit odd toasting to the old bugger with coffee. All the same, you fancy a drink? And as they stand up to leave, someone yells, Holy shit! And as John turns around, he sees the person who yelled is his old buddy Chaz. And he says, Chaz, Jesus, I forgot all about you. And Chaz says, You, I thought your letter said... You bloody said you were friggin' stuffing it. You total wanker, John Constantine. I didn't sodding know what to do. You walking off on me like that? This is just like it always is. Chaz is too thick to understand all the bullocks, so old John just takes the mickey. You tosser. And then he pulls John close and he says, So you're not dying then? And John says, Huh? Christ no, do I look dead? And then because Chaz is shouting and swearing... He gets yelled at by the guy at the diner counter and Chaz actually threatens him and tells him, shut your mouth and piss off and make me a cup of tea, you little arsehole. And with that, I guess John leaves Chaz there at the diner because the next scene we get is John and Kit walking to a bar called the Red Rover. And John is explaining to Kit what happened with Chaz earlier. He says, ah, Chaz is just a mate. He's a good bloke, but he's playing a couple of cards short of a full deck. You know what I mean? And she says, yeah, but he said you were dying, John. And John says, that's just something I, Ah, shit, right enough. Here, just a second, huh? And then John stops to think, and it's still pouring rain on them, but Kit waits with him. And he kind of goes through a list of maybe people he's forgotten to tell that he's still alive and not dead. So he continues, Jazz isn't the only one, is he? What happened was, I was saying goodbye to everyone a few days ago, and now I'll be able to tell them I'm fine. I have to phone Cheryl up in Liverpool and talk to her and Gemma and, and, and then we see John realize he forgot someone important and we see the narration say, and who else, Constantine? Who's the other one? And then John yells out, Matt. Then we cut to John and Kit and they're in a taxi cab now. And John's telling Kit that she doesn't have to come with him, but she says, don't be at it, John. You look like you shouldn't be left on your own, but what the hell's going on? Would you tell me? And John says, Oh Jesus. I've been having a really freaking rough time of it lately, Kit. Gotten to far too much crap, and this time I came closer to the edge than ever. Look, the details are a bit nasty, okay? The thing is, I was really sure I'd had it. I'd went around and said goodbye to everyone, and there's this old bloke, Matt, and he's on a cancer ward up there in St. Anne's, and he's a really good mate. He's a brilliant bloke, Kit, and I went to see him one last time, and now I've gone and bloody forgotten him. And then he looks at Kit, worried, and he says... While I was on the piss the last couple days, he could have died. So even though they're stuck in a bunch of traffic, eventually they do get to the hospital and John runs out of the taxi, not even paying the guy or thinking about anything. And Kit actually has to end up paying for it. And as John runs into the building, his narration says out of the taxi and run, you bastard. You've got nice new baby pink lungs. Remember you can move fast and you better sunshine. Come on, move. Bust your balls, shithead. You've been off drinking yourself stupid, and poor old Matt's probably dead. Yeah, that's right. You've let another one of your friends down, just like always. You worthless pile of crap, Constantine. You're a bloody plague ship. That old man trusted you when he said goodbye to you, and you win the biggest sodding victory of your life, and you just forget him and let him rot? Come on, go on through the doors, third on the left. Like it'll make a difference. Matt's more than likely snuffed it, and there'll be just an empty bed. Empty just like your freaking soul. And then John bursts through the doors of Matt's room and Matt's alive. He's sitting there on the bed reading a newspaper. And he looks at John and he says, You alright? I thought you were dead, son. And John looks at him and says, You you had me worried, you old bastard. And Matt looks at him and says, That's what I was going to say. Sit down before you fall down. And John sits on the edge of his bed and Matt continues, So what the bloody hell were you up to anyway? And John looks at him and says, Jesus, I thought you were dead, mate. I really did. And Matt replies, Likewise. Last time I saw you, it was the big goodbye, Johnny boy. You checking in here after all? And before John can reply, Kit actually comes in the room and John says, Kit, I'm I'm sorry, love. I forgot. And she says, It's all right. You weren't hard to find. I just asked the nurses if they'd seen a madman trying to do a one-minute mile. And then she looks at Matt and says, I'd imagine you're Matt. And Matt says, That's me, love. And as Kit and Matt shake hands, John says, Matt, this is a friend of mine, Kit. Try not to be revolting to her, okay? And Matt laughs and replies and says, (laughs) I can be a perfect gentleman when I want to be, son. Pleased to meet you, Kit. So, you sorted out your trouble then? Whatever it was? And John says, Uh, More or less, mate. It got a bit bloody, but it's okay now. And Kit kind of gets the feeling that maybe they want to have a private conversation. So she excuses herself to go get coffee. And as she walks away, Matt says, ''Oh, what a corker. Well done, my son.'' And John, who also is looking at Kit walk away, says, "Hm. Oh, no. We're just friends. I haven't seen her in quite a while.'' And Matt gives him a knowing smile and says, ''Pretty good friends, I'd say. Oh, I don't mean that. I mean, you must be pretty close. That's all. I was watching her look at you there. She knows you, doesn't she?'' And John says, ''We go back a bit.'' And Matt continues, ''Yeah, she's a lovely girl, John.'' You want to look after her and I'll tell you why. And in this panel, Matt has a very uh, sinister grin or maybe like he's about to say something dirty, but I think maybe Matt just has like a a weird grin when he gets happy because he doesn't say anything like that. John says, Matt, what are you talking about? You've hardly spoken two words to her. And Matt says, oh, I know, but just listen anyway, son. You see, John, I really enjoyed meeting you and all over the last while. I think you'd be a difficult bloke to know normally. Maybe because you were just nice to me because you realized we were in the same boat with the cancer. I imagine you let most people get a little glimpse of you. So each one you meet only has a little idea what you're about. But your friends, that's different. And then John says, I don't have many friends, Matt. I've lost quite a few. And Matt continues, yeah, but friends are important, John. It's friends remind you who you are. It's having friends to come back that allows you to play the mystery man. See... "'I've lived a bloody lifetime of it, mate. Kit knows you. She really does. I saw it when she looked at you. Now me, I'm on my last legs. I'm worth bugger all. But people like Kit will be special to you. You just remember all this, okay? You just...' And Matt pauses for a second and he looks at John and John says, "'What's up?' And Matt answers, "'I don't know. My guts feel a bit ropey. Can you tell the nurse to get us a pill?' So John gets up and he goes to a nurse and he asks her to get him a pill and as they return they walk into seeing Matt throwing up blood and the nurse immediately runs over to him as Matt is still retching and she says, Christ, it's his lungs, get some help. So John runs out and tries to get some help from other nurses and one of the nurses he gets yells out, get McBride and Fulton and get the monitors now. And they run into Matt's room and John's narration says, people and machinery start moving, urgent shouting, a muffled curse. I take a one second glimpse around the door, gambling with my sanity. And what John sees is the doctors are kind of shielding it, but he definitely sees blood coming up from where Matt's head would be as the doctors try to put machines on him. And one of the doctors yells out, kidneys have gone with it. Jesus, everything's gone. Hemorrhage, his heart rate's erratic. Get that freaking IV back in. And John's narration continues as he watches in horror. Matt screams. Blood and excrement hit the floor in equal quantities. The scream becomes a gurgle. Someone says flatline. And then we see John walking out an exit hallway and his narration continues, I don't want to hear them call the time. I don't want a nurse asking me if he was a friend and how sorry they are and how hard they tried. It'd be like evidence for the prosecution at my trial. John Constantine, you have been found guilty of first degree cold hearted bastardy of being a twisted evil frigger who sneaks and creeps his way out of trouble that those less privileged have no defense against of swaggering merrily away from lung cancer while a good friend's organs split and rupture without even a hope of the salvation you enjoy. And then John walks out of an exit door into the rain and his narration continues, I stop walking. It's quite an effort because walking's one of the things I do best. Walking away without a glance over my shoulder at the misery and bloodshed I've left behind me. I didn't kill Matt, but I escaped when I shouldn't have. I cheated, I laughed in the face of the devil, when all that other people can do is succumb. The rain washes over me, every drop of it like liquid guilt, drenching me in my own evil. It's not a pleasant burden, but at least I'm used to it because that's what it is to be me, to be John Constantine. Then we come back into the hospital where John has forgotten again that Kit was with him so Kit is returned to the room with coffee, unawares of what just happened. And as she walks in, she sees the walls covered with blood that's behind the bed and the sheets are all bloody and the sheets have been pulled up over Matt's face. And she drops the coffee, of course, and she runs out to find John. And she finds him kneeling down in the rain in the street. And she says, John, you should come in out of the rain. And as she approaches him, John says, another one gone, another friend. He said friends were important just before. You should go, Kit. You should leave me here and keep yourself safe. I'll just get you hurt. And then Kit comes over to him and puts her hand on his shoulder and kneels down next to him. And she says, I'm a big girl now, John. I'll take my chances. And John closes his eyes and he begins to cry. And he pulls himself into her. And we get a splash page of him sobbing as she holds on to him in the rain. And then we get a quote from a song by the Pogues called Rainy Night in Soho. And it says, we watched our friends grow up together and we saw them as they fell. Some of them fell into heaven. Some of them fell into hell. And that is the end of the issue. So if you guys have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me at planes, trains, and comic books, all one word at gmail.com. And we will see you on the next one.